Pastor Xavier Reese describes a man after God's own heart. He was a faithful shepherd, courageous giant slayer, a servant to the king, a warrior, a patriot, a leader, a king, a poet, the sweet psalmist of Israel, a prophet, an organizer of the temple and the priesthood. There is probably no other character in the scriptures that can measure up to the man David. Quite a man. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Scripture says, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. And throughout Scripture, we see examples of God choosing the most unlikely people for great tasks, like the weak in faith Gideon to lead Israel into battle or the young virgin girl, Mary, to mother the Son of God. And so when it came to choosing a king of the nation of Israel, once again God turned to a lowly shepherd boy, a duty usually reserved for the despised of that culture. And it's here where we learn a simple truth, that while man judges by the outward appearance, God looks at the heart. Here's Pastor Xavier to begin a character study series of David. There is probably no other character in the scriptures that can measure up to the man David. He is so diverse in both his talents and the offices that he occupied. He occupies more scripture than any other person, including Abraham. From 1 Samuel 13 all the way through 2 Samuel, 1 Kings chapter 1 and 2, 1 Chronicles chapter 3, 2, 3, 10 through 30, Ruth 4, 18 through 22 gives us his genealogy. And then the Psalms. An incredible man. Sometimes we run into people like this. Uh, they're talented musicians. They're doctors at the same time. They're great athletes. I mean, just every time you turn around, you see another ability and talent they have, and you just blow your mind. You say, how? David was like this. He was a faithful shepherd, an obedient son, a courageous giant slayer, a servant to the king, a loving friend to Jonathan, a son-in-law who was faithful to the king Saul, a warrior, a patriot, a leader, a king, a poet, the sweet psalmist of Israel, a prophet, an organizer of the temple and the priesthood. <laughs> Quite a man. But I'm going to divide his life into three basic areas. We're going to look at David the man. Then we're going to look at David, the man in exile. And then we're going to look at David, the man anointed king. We want to begin by observing David, the man. And we want to do this from a threefold picture. The shepherd tender. The minstrel player and armor bearer. And the giant slayer. Those are the first three pictures we want to see as David, the man. We begin in 1 Samuel, chapter 16. The first thing we note is that David was the son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite. In chapter 16, verse 1, it says, Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil, go, and I am sending you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. 
David's name means beloved. How appropriate. A man after God's own heart. Any man who seeks after God and seeks the heart of God becomes one who is beloved. That is one of the adjectives for us in the New Testament. We are beloved of God. We are accepted in the beloved Son. In the beloved Son. And God sees us as He sees His Son. As Christ transforms us, as Christ becomes more of a reality in our life, we become more like Him. He is one of eight brothers, three which served in Saul's army. And you get this in chapter 16, verse 10. Jesse had made his seven sons to pass before Samuel, and of course David was the eighth. Later on in chapter 17, verse 12 through 13, uh, you get the reference that three of those old, older sons were uh, there with Saul in the valley of Elah. And you might just jot down First Chronicles chapter 2, uh, verse 13 through 15, also 16, and that will give you the genealogy in terms of the names of his brothers. He is named more than any other person in the Bible apart from Jesus Christ. His name appears over 800 times in the Old Testament and 59 times in the New Testament. He is referred to often. Israel never forgot her king. Despite his failure, he is the epitome of the kingdom and the king. It's a matter of fact, the promise that the Messiah would come after the seed of David. He would be the son of David. Secondly, David was the great-great-grandson of Ruth, the Moabitess. We get this in the book of Ruth in chapter 4, verse 18 through 22. You get there. Now, this is the genealogy of Perez. Perez begot Hezron. Uh, Hezron begot Ram. And Ram begot Ammon and Dab. And Abinadab uh, begot Nashon. And Nashon begot Salmon. And Salmon begot Boaz. And Boaz begot Obed. And Obed begot Jesse. And Jesse begot David. So there we get the genealogy. Ruth was a Moabitess who had returned to Bethlehem with Naomi, her mother-in-law. They both had become widows as Naomi and Elimelech had left with their two sons, Malon and Chilion, sickly and tiny. That's what they mean. <laughs> um, they left not trusting God and they went off to the land of Moab. But they lost everything. And when they heard there was bread back in Bethlehem, which means house of bread, they returned, but they returned empty. When Naomi came back and the people looked at her and called out her name, she says, Call me no more Naomi Pleasant, but call me Mara Bitter, for the Lord has dealt heavily with me. And yet here this Moabitish woman, Ruth, committed herself wholeheartedly as she would not leave her mother-in-law and says, where you lodge, I will lodge. Where you die, you will die. Your God should be my God. Your people should be my people. Knowing that she would be rejected, knowing that she was an enemy of the people of God, knowing that she was rejected from the congregation of the 10th generation, by the way, where she was in line of. And so Boaz was the kinsman redeemer. And you know the story. She, she goes to glean. And it just so happened, it says, that he landed there in his fields, but not by chance. God was in control. And he was in the line of the kinsman redeemer. But there was a man who was before him. And he pursued and approached the man. And 
reminded him that when he would redeem the land and the property rights of Elimelech, he would also have to take up seed and marry the wife of the deceased son of Naomi and Elimelech. And the first son that he would have with the widow, Ruth, he would have to bear the son of the dead father so his name would not be lost in Israel. And that was according to the law. Well, he said that his wife would never go for that, so he forfeited his redemptive right. And Boaz, with a smile across his face, said, All right, I'll redeem her. (laughs) He married her, and as he redeemed the property, he took Ruth to himself as part of the condition, and he raised up seed to the dead husband as the custom of Israel, and Boaz begot Obed, who was the grandfather of David. And Obed, the grandfather of David, begot Jesse. And Jesse begot David. And there you have the genealogy of David. Ruth the Moabitess was the great-great-grandmother of David. And Ruth, interestingly enough, is found in the genealogy of Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 1, verse 5. Ruth's line came in a handy way to David when he was fleeing from Saul and he sought refuge and security for his parents with the king of Moab later on in 1 Samuel 22.3. Now, all of this is orchestrated by God. Aren't you glad you serve a God that knows the end from the beginning? And at the same time, God is giving us a picture of His mercy and His grace that He does not deal with men after their sins, but according to His grace. In that genealogy, Ruth is not the only woman that is mentioned there who is not of Israel. Nor is she the only woman that is mentioned that would be of a sordid reputation. Rahab the harlots there. You have other women who are there. And once again, the grace of God showing us all the time that God will turn no one away if they would repent, if they would open their heart for the work of God. And that is the only thing that keeps us from being saved. That's the only thing that keeps us from entering the kingdom of God. That's the only thing that will keep us from eternal life. Our own free will, our choices. It's interesting, we make so many choices in life And we always want to blame others for our choices, right? When we all stand before God and the whole world stands before God, no one will be able to say, God, you're the one that fall for my choice. Every person will know that they had every opportunity to accept Him when they stand before Him. And they will be silenced. Not a word will be spoken, guaranteed. Because if God would ever reject any one person or favor one over another, then God would cease to be just. Which means that He couldn't be holy. Which means that He's a liar. Which means He can't be God. And so the arguments of men are, are, are kind of funny. And at the same time tragic because we're dealing with the eternity. Not with years, 20, 40, 80 but with eternity. Notice thirdly, David was God's chosen shepherd. Back to 1 Samuel 
16.1, God sent Samuel to anoint one of the sons of Jesse to replace Saul as king. In verses 6 through 10 of 1 Samuel 16, God allowed all seven of the sons of Jesse to pass before Samuel, only to reject them all. Teaching Samuel that man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Verse 7. Because the first one came by and Samuel said, oh, surely this is the one. And how often you and I, in our life in Christ, we've seen in, in God doing something, and we say, oh, this is it, and we find out we're wrong. Because we've been judging it wrongly, according to our own perceptions, according to our own opinion, and not according to God's choice. If you were fortunate to marry in Christ, you probably married someone that was totally different than someone that you dated and were with in the world. <laughs> and it's just weird the way that works out. And yet God's choices are so much better. He gives you the best. When you make your own choices, you settle for second best. Third and fourth. And that goes on every level in life. God saw all these young men, and nothing wrong with them, but they just weren't the ones. In verse 11, God had Samuel to ask if there were any others, to which Jesse responded that there was one more, the youngest who was keeping the sheep. It's okay. Send for him. In verse 12, So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy, with bright eyes and good looking. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Ruddy, auburn color of hair, sort of reddish. Probably freckle face. <laughs> bright eye, meaning beautiful of countenance, pleasant to look at. And so David was anointed in verse 13. And the Spirit of God came upon him from that day forward. One commentator points out that the occupation of a shepherd was usually allotted in eastern countries to slaves, the females, or the despised person of the family. It kind of just brought a different light to this passage that I never saw before because not only was Jesse not expecting David to be the one but Samuel was looking to the others they must have been despising David to an extent and yet David as we look to his life he didn't think much of himself and yet God had his hand upon him his spirit came upon him from that day forward what a beautiful picture of, of God's grace. That's just so characteristic of God. To take the things that are despised to confound the things that are mighty. As 1 Corinthians one twenty seven says. God uh, is so merciful in, in whom He chooses and whom He um, uses. Now sometimes we take this out of context and we almost glorify the fact that using that scripture that God takes the foolish things of this world, the weak things to confound the strong and the wise, so on and so forth. And we almost, at times, many Christians exalt that as if we are to be anti-academic or that it doesn't matter 
whether we really study or anything. And that's not what it's talking about. Uh, Jesus called a little child and he spoke about unless we become like him, we cannot enter the kingdom of God. That and all the other scriptures I pointed to, they all speak of, of an attitude of like a child and humility and openness. It never speaks of having a child's mind. <laughs> Open a concordance and see how many times the Bible says, think on these things. Learn. Study. Meditate. Seek. And all of the words that go through it. When Paul the Apostle is speaking in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and 2 about not coming with excellency of words and the wisdom of man, he's not talking about not getting educated. Do you realize the first Christians were well-rounded in terms of their culture and art and everything else? Do you realize the first church fathers and those of old, the Puritans, they were scientists, they were men of art, men of culture, and they were able to respond to the world around them because they were interacting with the world and they can give a scriptural answer. The average Christian, though they go to church and they have all kinds of sermons, they can't defend their faith because they've never taken their faith to the marketplace. <laughs> so we're not to memorize scripture alone, but we're to understand and be able to know the understanding behind it and to be able to give an answer to every man. If you're a young person, go to school. Now put on your faith. Examine everything. Learn about science. You'll be able to check out all those stupid theories and put them out there. But learn about the world. Learn what's going on. So that when you get to the marketplace, you're a Christian who can interact, who can give answers. And everything run by the scriptures. The Bible does not exalt ignorance. And if you're a Christian now and you never got an education and you didn't do that well in high school, it's okay. Start cracking the books. We got night school. We got all kinds of things. Go for it. And God will bless you. God is an incredible individual. When you come to Christ, your life should excel on every level. On every level now. Now you have a purpose for life. Now you have a goal. Makes all the difference in the world. David, being a shepherd out there all alone, had a lot of time to think. One of the um, handicaps that we have today in our society is we're never alone. We're always surrounded by people. You get in the car, you've got the radio on. We can't stand silence. Silence is good. Now the Bible warns about that person who isolates themselves. They, they seek their own destruction. But to be alone at times is good to hear the voice of God. To get away from all the noise and everything else and just go walking or you know, go somewhere and, and, and be alone with God. And as David was out there in the fields, it was just him and the Lord. And the stinking sheep. Time to talk to the Lord. Time to learn about people, the sheep. Now remember, David's going to be a leader, right? Wow, what a training ground. <laughs> there, there's a real connection there. Uh, listen to the words of Jesus. David, the shepherd, tender, faithful, patient, committed, present. Secondly, we see David as the minstrel player. An armor bearer. When you get to chapter 16 verse 14. 
David was being groomed for the throne by God. And he didn't even know it. But the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and a disturbing spirit from Saul troubled him. God is in this entire picture. I just wonder how many things God is in that we think he's not in. <laughs> We're positive he's not in. And he's part of it. The Lord had already made known to Saul through Samuel that God was already seeking and had in fact sought out a man after his own heart in 1 Samuel thirteen fourteen, after he disobeyed and offered sacrifice. Notice it was God through Samuel who used the phrase a man after his own heart. So Saul already knew. Now notice secondly in verses 15 through 20, David was brought to the mind of Saul's servant to minister unto Saul by God. But he did not know about it. Now God is all in this, but no one knows anything about it. <laughs> and so it is in our lives, so it is in the church so often. You know, but we believe that God's in our life and we trust us in our life and we move along in obedience to his word. But we don't always know that he's there, but in terms of affirming positively that we know, but we know that he's in control. And then at other times he allows us to see that he is there and that he did open those doors and he is doing something. But sometimes we have no idea and we can be positive that he's not in it. And he is. You can look back on your life on, on, on things that you said, no way. And you look back and say, what a dummy. Yeah, he was there. In verse 16 and 17, the servant advised Saul to seek out a skillful player on the harp or a lyre to bring some relief to him. And so Saul commanded it so. And then in verse 18, one of his servants then recommended David, the son of Jesse, who he described as qualified for the task. He says, first, he was skillful in playing, a mighty man of valor, a man of war, a man of prudent speech, a handsome person, a person who the Lord was with. Incredible qualities. And so it was whenever the Spirit from God was upon Saul that David would take a harp and play with his hand, then Saul would become refreshed and well, and the distressing spirit would depart from him. God was in the entire situation. Good and bad. God was in control, continuing to do what? To train David. But now he is training him in the palace and in the city. But his foundational training was with the sheep. Out alone. We saw Moses out alone for 40 years. We saw Paul out for three years in Arabia alone. And if you're going to hear the voice of God, God will take you through your own alone ministry your own alone period where it's you and God and when you go through it you're not going to like it <laughs> but it's so necessary you have to go through it so your ear can tune to the voice of God so your heart can be touched by the hand of God and so that you can receive the training that he has for your life that important training. Pastor Xavier Reese, with a great example of Psalm 75, 5 and 6, saying, For exaltation comes neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south. But God is the judge. He puts down one 
and exalts another. And you can hear this message again anytime online by simply selecting today's date at the radio listings link you'll find at calvarychapelpasadena.com. Now, we've left just enough time to let you know how you can obtain your own copy of this message simply titled, David Part 1. And by the way, there's much more to come next time, but we'll combine everything Pastor Xavier has planned to share then on one CD. We just ask that you send along $4 to help cover the costs. The title once again is David Part 1. You can request yours by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station, however you get in touch. This is helpful information as we monitor the impact of our radio ministry. Next time, David slew the giant, not because of a bigger sword, but because he had a bigger God. Join Pastor Xavier Reese for more Simple Truths right here. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com